Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. I'm excited. We are in week two of a series that we are simply calling Jesus Never Said That. Have you ever really paid attention and noticed that there are some things that we say or maybe society says or people say and you, you sometimes wonder, did God really say that? Is that really in the Bible or are we just kind of manipulating it and molding and shaping things to fit our own agenda and our own calling? Yeah, sometimes that happens. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of those ideas such as if you were really a good Christian, you would. Here's another one. You shouldn't judge people. Now, the hard thing about that one, there's some truth in that, but there's also some mistruth in that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit over the next couple of weeks. Or things like this. If you really trust God, then you don't have to do anything. He'll do everything. You just sit back and watch the show. I know, that's what I'm saying. We're going to talk about that in just a couple of weeks. This morning, we're going to talk about this question. If I follow Jesus, is my life going to be great? Is everything going to be easy? No. We're going to talk about some of these things over the next few weeks. I want to challenge you, be here. Be here each and every week. On Easter, we're not going to talk about what he didn't say, but on Easter, we're going to talk about what did Jesus say. What are the words that Jesus spoke that changed and revolutionized our lives? Things such as, it is finished. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We're going to talk about some of these things on Easter Sunday morning. I want you to be praying for that service because I'm believing God is going to fill the Performing Arts Center with hearts and lives of people that don't know Him. Now, I want all of you, yes, I want you there, but I want you to bring your unchurched, unsaved friends. We're going to watch God transform hearts and lives. We're going to watch God uh, pull families back together. We're going to watch God just do some of the miraculous works that only he can do in hearts and lives of people that day as we look at what did Jesus say for you and for me. But this morning I want to look at our misquote. Misquote number two is this. Follow Jesus and you will be healthy, wealthy, and problem-free. Misquote number two, follow Jesus and you will be healthy, wealthy, and problem-free. Some would have you to believe that all you need to do is give your heart and your life to Jesus and everything will be great. That suddenly all of life will come into alignment and everything will be outstanding. That that all the blessings of life will fall right into your lap. That all of a sudden when you pull into Walmart parking lot, you will always get the front row parking spots. That everyone will love you. That you will never have issues with people. That your bank account will suddenly overflow. That life will just be great. Well, guess what? This is a bunch of misguided, misunderstood nonsense. That's the politically correct, very gentle way to say that. It's misguided, it's misunderstood. 
How do I know that? Because Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 33, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Look at that. That's the word. In this life, you will have many trials. You will have problems. You will have difficulties. You will have frustrations. You will have irritations in life. In this world, you will have problems. Look what it goes on to say. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. We'll hit on that in just a few moments. The second thing that we see Jesus say is in Mark chapter 13. This is really encouraging. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? Jesus himself said that if you are a Christian, people will hate you. Not dislike, but hate you. And in this world, you will not just have a few problems, but you will have many trials, many sorrows. I fail to see a disclaimer that says, unless you're a Christian. In fact, it says, because you are a Christian, here is what you'll face. Church, I want you to understand that this walk with Christ is not a guaranteed joy ride, but there will be struggles, there will be problems, there will be disappointments, there will be frustration. Why? Because life is imperfect. And honestly, life sometimes just stinks. It doesn't play fair. Things don't always go the way that we want them to go. I mean, it snowed yesterday. It's spring we're not supposed to have snow in spring. We're supposed to have flowers and tulips and bunny rabbits, right? Life sometimes is not fair. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. In this world, you will have many trials and sorrows. Look at the second portion of Mark 13. It says, everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Look at that. If we endure, if we press in, then we will be saved. Look how the message paraphrase says it. Stay with it. That's what is required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry. You'll be saved. So I say to you today, don't fall into the trap that life has got to be perfect. That as a Christian, it should always be easy. You are setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment and quite honestly, a lot of self-inflicted guilt. If I was just a better Christian, life wouldn't be so hard. If I would just read my Bible more, life wouldn't be so hard. If I would just pray more, life wouldn't be so hard. No. I understand the more we pray, the more we're close to God, the, the better our life is, but it doesn't guarantee that it'll be problem-free. In this world, you will have troubles and trials and sorrows and hurts and hang-ups, and people will hate you. Jesus guaranteed this. So what do we do? I mean, is there really even a point? Yeah, here's what we do. We refocus, and we realize that life may throw us for a loop, but with God, we are able to make it to the other side of our conflict and our trouble. 
Let me say that again, because some of you didn't grab it. It's time that we refocus. It's time that we realize that even though life throws trouble our direction, even though we have people that dislike or even hate us, even though we have uh, struggles and trials and strife and hardships and hurts and hang-ups in life, if we lean upon Jesus, if we turn to Him, if we trust in Him, if we rely upon Him, He will lead us and guide us to the other side of that problem. Look at that. But those who endure to the end will be saved. I listened to a pastor the other day and he had this to say. Stephen Furtick at Elevation Church said this. Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. And I thought, man, that's good. Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. You see, you can have joy even in the midst of difficulty. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and the, the fence line of our property has a lot of hedge apple trees. See, there, there are some things in life that I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven, why did you create that? And hedge apple trees is one of those things. For one, they're very difficult to cut because they, they just tear up your, your, saw, your chainsaw blade. Second off, they put those big hedge apples in the yard that have no point. They say they keep away spiders. They don't. That side of my house has more spiders than any other part of my house. And then there's thorns. And this friend of mine was sharing with me that a couple years ago when we first took out a bunch of this stuff, he had this whole big pile of all of these branches on the trailer, and he's getting ready to take it down to the, wherever they put it. And he turned and he fell right on top of all of those branches. He said, as he hit the pile of branches, all of those thorns went, hello, here am I. He said, I just laid there for a moment. He thought, there's got to be a point to this. There's got to be a reason why this happened. Yeah, someone said several. There's several points to this. But then he began to be grateful. Because he thought the price that Jesus paid on the cross, the pain that he endured. You see, joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Even though Jesus says that we will face troubles and trials and struggles in life, for the Christian, there is hope. Why? Because there's a difference between going through pain with a purpose and going through pain without a purpose. Pastor, are you saying that when I go through struggles in life, there's a purpose? Yes. What is it you can learn from that moment? See, maybe God is equipping you and preparing you in and through that circumstance so that you could be a blessing to someone else down the road. There's a difference between just going through pain and difficulty and hardship with no point and going through pain and difficulty and hardship with a purpose. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity to refocus. Consider it an opportunity to process through that moment and say, Lord, what would you have me to learn through this? God, how can you use me in and through this? 
consider an opportunity for what? Complaining? I have a feeling that my friend, when he laid upon all of those thorns, he wanted to go, ha! right? I've got a scratch on my leg from here to here from one of those thorns yesterday. It's painful when you go through struggles, when you have hurts and hardships in your life. But the Bible says consider it an opportunity not for complaining, not for griping, not for sulking, but an opportunity to refocus and let real joy set in. How is that possible? Well, we know what's behind door number one. We know the end result. You see, joy is found in the guaranteed outcome. Not necessarily in the situation that you're in. Not necessarily in the moment of the hurt. But joy is found in the guaranteed outcome. And what is that guaranteed outcome? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This morning for the next few moments, I want to take the time to look at the words of a man that that truly knew what it meant to persevere and and refocus. Many of us in the room are familiar with this man. He's accredited of penning the majority of a good portion of the New Testament. His name is Paul. Look what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often. By the way, it was prison for doing good, the work of God. Been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that was big rocks being hurled at him, not drinking too much, it's rocks hurled at him. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the city and in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul understood this scripture that we have that says, in this world, you will have many trials. In this world, you will face many hardships. I mean, this man went to the ringer and back. But in and through it all, despite all the situations, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Why? Because when he looked at that struggle, when he looked at the problem he was facing, he considered it an opportunity for great joy. 
Therefore, he says, I will rejoice. Even though I've been beaten, even though I've been shipwrecked, even though even people that said they were godly spoke harshly against me, even though I've gone without food, even though I've gone without clothing to stay warm, time and time again i faced hardship, I will rejoice. I consider it an opportunity for great joy. How does he do it? What's his secret? How does Paul stay positive while in prison and triumph over troubles and delight in difficulties? How does he stay happy and positive and joyful in spite of the fact that everything has not turned out the way he has planned? See, there are some of us in the room that the moment hardship starts coming our way, what do we do? The bottom drops out. Oh, woe is me. I have a hangnail. I have a scratch. My back hurts, right? Someone said something mean against me on Facebook and they didn't like my post. Right? We face problems and, and those are minuscule things, but you get the points. We face problems and difficulties and trials, so what do we do? Where do we turn? Well, first off, we've got to understand what kind of circumstance it is. There are three kinds of circumstances in life. Number one are those that you can control and you do. Those that you can control and you do, such as changing the channel on TV. You don't like the show you're watching, you change the channel. If you're hungry, you go get food. If you're thirsty, you grab something to drink. These are things that we can change and we do, right? The second is those you can control and you don't. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not an excuse for laziness. Contentment, which is what we'll talk about in just a moment, is not laziness or complacency. If you can change the situation, you don't need contentment. You need to get up and do something about it. Let me say that again. Sometimes we moan and groan and complain about things in life when realistically we could resolve it very quickly. We just don't. The third thing is this. Those you cannot control. This is where you need contentment. In an uncontrollable situation, when things are beyond your power, you have done your best, you've done all that you can do, but still things are not working out. It's still out of your control. This is where you need to learn to relax, to, to refocus, to reframe, and turn to God. Let me share a little story with you. This lady was talking with her marriage counselor. The counselor said, How, how's the relationship going? And she said this, there seems to be friction in the home. I really don't know what the trouble is. Friction is caused by one of two things, the counselor told her. He immediately went over and picked up two wooden blocks. If one block is moving and the other is standing still, there's going to be friction. If both blocks are moving, but moving in the opposite direction, there's going to be friction. He then looked at the lady and he said this, now which is it? 
She said, I don't know what the friction is. Doctor said, it's one of two things. Either you're moving in opposite directions or one person standing still and the other one is moving. The question I have for you today is this, which is it for you? If there's friction happening in your relationships, if there's friction happening in your home, in your work, in your neighborhood, or even amongst your fellow church members, what's causing the friction? What's contributing to this situation? I want to take a moment and look at Paul's words in the book of Philippians chapter 4. He says, not that I have, not that I was ever in need For I have learned, hold on to that word, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I want to take just a moment this morning and I want to break this scripture apart. I want to look at three observations when dealing with the strife in life. The very first observation I see from Paul's words is this I must learn to be a learner. Over and over in this short section of scripture, Paul says, I have learned what it means to. We must learn. To be a learner. Many of us have an issue with this. We are stuck in our ways. We have no desire to listen to the wisdom of others. But Paul says, through all the trials, through all the issues, through all the struggles and problems that I have faced, I have learned. So I ask you today, would you consider yourself a learner? Or in your mind, have you arrived at that place that you no longer need to learn? I would say that's a very dangerous place to settle. Because every one of us needs to learn to be a learner. Every one of us needs to humble ourselves. The Bible says, he who exalts himself will be humbled. Paul says, through all these situations, through all these problems, I've learned what it means to be a learner. The Bible says it's important That each one of us in our lives set ourselves up to be a learner. Look at these scriptures. Proverbs 12, 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Proverbs 18, 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. I really like how the message paraphrase says that one. It says it's stupid and rude. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. And Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. I think you get the point. It's vitally important that we learn to be a learner. That we take the time to really listen, not just Listen in one ear and out the other, but truly allow it to take heart and take root on the inside of our lives to apply it with who we are. The Bible says, don't just be a hearer, but be a doer. Allow what you hear to cause action and a response. 
We must apply godly wisdom. We must receive it and allow it to move us in a direction that is desirable and pleasing to God. So is life always going to be easy? No. But God has a plan. And we must learn to follow and adjust accordingly. See, it would have been easy for Paul in those moments when he was being beaten with a rod or when he's being whipped or shipwrecked or when he was hungry, when people were speaking falsely about him. It would have been easy for him to say, oh, why am I facing this? Why am I going through this? Why am I enduring this? But Paul said, in and through all of this, I'm going to consider this an opportunity. I'm going to consider this an opportunity for joy in my heart, in my life. Lord, would you work something in and through this? Lord, I'm going to endure. I'm going to press forward with you. I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Look at observation number two. I must understand what it means to be content. I must understand what it means to be content. Now, contentment is actually containment. What do I mean by that? Contentment is having the spiritual resources within to face life courageously and handle it successfully. Let me say that again. Contentment is having these spiritual resources within to face life courageously and handle it successfully. Containment comes from within, not from without. It's not everything in life falling into place. It's not getting that perfect parking spot at Walmart. It's not suddenly your bank account is overflowing. And it's not suddenly everybody likes all of your posts on social media and they even share your posts because you're cool. No, it's, it's the spiritual resources within. So when the troubles and the trials and the strife and the hurt and the difficulty comes your direction, you, you tap into that and say, Lord, in and through this all, God, I can do all things through you. Lord, I consider this an opportunity of great joy. We, unlike what some would try to teach, are not promised a perfect, easy, financially flourishing life. We are told it's going to be hard that we're going to have troubles. Take a look at our text again. Here on the earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But look at this. But take heart because I have overcome what? The world. The world. Jesus could have said, you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties in life. But the good news for you is this. I've already overcome your difficulties. He could have said, I've already overcome your trials in life. But he says, I've already overcome the world. I don't know about you, but the things that I face in life in comparison to the world as a whole are minuscule. God says, you see that problem you're facing? I've got that already. Because when I came and climbed on the cross of Calvary for you, I overcame it all. Death, hell, and the grave, it's resolved. It is finished. 
I've already met your need. I've already taken care of your problems. It's time to refocus. It's time to, to fixate our eyes upon the things of God, not the things of this world. You see, our happiness and our satisfaction and our contentment is not based on what's around us, but what's within us. Are we holding on to the things of God? Because He's already overcome Everything. It's time that we rest and refocus on the goodness of God regardless what's happening around us. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul makes this statement. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Wow, did you see that? Whatever happens, Whatever that conflict is, whatever that problem is, whatever that irritation is, rejoice in the Lord. Paul understood firsthand that life was going to be hard, yet he learned to grab a hold of life and move forward as God has directed him to go. You see, I've got to understand. I've got to learn to be a learner. I've got to understand what it means to be content. And number three, I must discover where to find my contentments. I must discover where to find my contentments. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says this, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Where does our contentment come from? Yeah. God. God has set it up for you. He has a, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Not destruction, not hardship, not hurts, but of hope and a future. Some of you in this room right now, you're struggling with that. Because you're having a problem seeing past all of the garbage that's in front of you. You're having a hard time pressing through because every trial and every conflict keeps piling up and piling up. And in your mind, you're thinking, one more, this whole thing's going to topple over. But I want you to know, the same God that took care of Paul it's the same God that will supply your every need. It's been given to us by Jesus. He's our hope. He's our supply. Jehovah Jireh, that's one of his names. Our provider. He gives us that ability to rest amongst the struggle, to refocus amongst the difficulty to fill us full of contentment on the inside so that when that which is without and that which is on the outside, when it piles against us, we can still rest assured that He has given us all that we need to endure, to press forward. Because the Bible said, and we read it a moment ago, He who endures, He who presses through in the end will be saved. The problem is, we put all sorts of stipulations upon that happiness. Well, there's, there's only a, a few key things that we need to do in order to be happy. Look, look at some of these misconceptions. Number one, 
we think things such as this, I must have what others have. Well, well if, if I'm a Christian, if I've given my heart to, to God, if I've surrendered my everything to Him, then, then surely I should have what everyone else has. I should have better than what everybody else has. That's a myth. What you're guaranteed is there are going to be people that hate you. There'll be those that unlike you on social media and block you. There'll be those that speak falsely against you. You'll have opposition. You'll have struggles. You don't have to have what everything everyone else has. In fact, the Bible says, fix not your eyes upon the things of this earth, because why? They're temporary. Things of this world are only here for a short time, and then they're gone. But if we begin to fix our eyes upon heaven... See, I believe that's how Paul came to this place of true contentment. And when he was able to rejoice in and amongst the sorrows and the struggles of life, he understood that it's not about what's around me. It's not about the bruising. It's not about being shipwrecked. It's not about being hungry. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. Gave Jesus. See, if you've got him, you've got everything. If you've got him, you've got everything. I don't have to have what everyone else has. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. The second misunderstanding and misconception is this I must be liked by everybody. Many people spend so much time trying to win the approval of those around them, and then they get discouraged and frustrated when everybody doesn't like them. I had a pastor friend tell me once when I first got in ministry, and, and I've used this as a rule in my life, he said this, eventually in church, you're going to please everybody. And I was like, what? He said, no, seriously, you'll please half of them when you show up and half when you leave. Eventually, you'll please everybody. And I thought, wow, how true that is. But not just in ministry, but all of life. Why are we trying to do something that Jesus himself could not accomplish? There are people that despise Jesus. You don't believe me? They tried to kill him. In fact, they did. I would venture to say that that's a group of people that disliked him. Why are we trying to accomplish what Jesus himself couldn't accomplish? See, I don't have to have what everyone else has. I don't have to be liked by everybody. The third is this. I must have more. If I can just get a little bit more, then I'm going to be happy. It was Howard Hughes that was once asked this question. Howard, how much money does it take to make a man happy? Howard's answer was this. Just a little bit more. If I could just get a little bit more, then I'll be happy. It's foolish to think that accumulation of things and stuff will make us happy and content in life. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with doing well financially in life. There's no, nothing wrong with being liked by people. But Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. See, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. 
And before you know it, he brings us, brings us along someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Did you grab a hold of that? God comes alongside us. He walks beside us when we face difficulties in life. And suddenly, here comes along somebody else that's also going through problems that we can be there for them just as God was there for us. It's time to allow the difficulties in life to be redirected. It's time to really hone in, church, and stop looking at circumstances and situations around us. It's time to refocus upon God, to learn to be a learner. To understand what it means to be content and most importantly to learn and discover that our contentment and our hope and our future comes from God and God alone. You see, we can allow difficulties in life to draw us close to God and close to people or we can allow them to isolate us, to distance us from God and from all people. It's all a matter of where you focus can't tell you how many people in over the many years of ministry that I've talked to that man they face difficulties in life and no matter how much the church is there for them they come back and say well I, I'm not going to be there anymore I'm not going to go there anymore. why because they isolated themselves they built a wall around them rather than taking a moment and considering an opportunity for great joy and allow God to speak in they honed in as an island the problem is eventually the waves, the waters, the storms overflow in that island. See, church, it's time to refocus on God. The ability to endure difficult, difficulties patiently without giving up is a choice that we have to learn to commit to. Here's what I want you to grab as we wrap up. God has to work in us before he can work through us. God has to work in us before he, has to, before he can work through us. He doesn't always deliver us immediately, nor does he, does he deliver each and every one of us the same way. Sometimes he delivers us from our trials, but oftentimes he delivers us in our trials. We read it a moment ago. If we endure, if we press on, we press forward, in the end, we'll be saved church, I challenge you today. It's time to refocus. I challenge you to get your eyes off the difficulty, eyes off the struggle. It's time to turn to God.